How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpet cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today talking with Thomas J. Brown, professor at the University of South Carolina, an authority on the public art of Civil War commemoration. In our first segment, we were discussing uh, where these monuments came from, who built them, uh, what some of their purposes were in the, the second half of the 19th century. And I certainly want to continue with that topic, but I'm also curious, Tom, to ask about what, uh, how we ought to read these monuments today and perhaps introduce the topic. I'm pulling up uh, my actual paper hard copy here of the Greenville, North Carolina Daily Reflector for today, which, for the record, is Friday, March 10, 2006. And we have a letter to the editor that reads as follows, Energy on statue better spent elsewhere. Why do some people always want to tear down instead of build up? Now we have folks wanting to remove the statue of the Civil War soldier from the courthouse lawn. Granted, the Civil War brings back unpleasant memories to many people, but the statue honors the brave men who are ancestors to many citizens of Greenville. And I'll stop there. Uh, it goes on. It's one of two such letters in the paper today. Greenville, North Carolina, like many towns uh, across the South and across the, the Midwest and, and New England as well, has a, a sort of generic Civil War soldier monument, a, a tall column with the uh, infantry figure at the top and it is labeled to our I believe to our confederate dead is the uh, or our confederate soldiers uh, to our I remember that part clearly to our confederate something or others uh, and has been there since I want to say about 1915 in the last year in, in, in 2006 a local leader expressed his dismay at this soldier being here and suggested it should be moved from the courthouse 
to a museum or some other historical location where it doesn't purport to speak for the community as a whole, but is a memory of the past. The response has been mostly letters like the one I just read. And, uh, Tom, I know you're, you're, you haven't followed events necessarily here in Greenville, North Carolina, closely, but this is going on all over the country uh, where people begin to have very divergent views of these monuments and they become embroiled in political controversies. What, what do you see going on here? Well, I am very interested in these things, and um, I, I um, would be glad to know more about the Greenville situation. You're right, they are going around a lot of places. They're certainly related to um, other types of controversies over memory, uh, names of streets, names of schools. Um, here in, in Columbia, South Carolina, we have famous uh, have had a, a famous controversy over the display of the Confederate flag at the State House. Um, it's um, uh, it, it is a, a fascinating um, story, and I, I, I don't think one that's going to disappear very soon. Uh, in fact, I, I suspect it will, will probably get renewed attention as we come closer to the 150th anniversary of the Civil War. It's an interesting uh, kind of departure from um, American ideas about its past. The usual pattern has been when um, something kind of drops out of relevance that um, it just sits there and people don't think about it unless it becomes a traffic obstruction or something like that. Um, there have not been many situations where there are controversies over um, uh, recanting previous acts of commemoration or at least um, uh, tempering them. Or, um, and, uh, and this isn't the only um, part of um, American consciousness of its past that's prompted that kind of thing, the Civil War. There are, there are um, comparable controversies over uh, history of the, the ways in which the United States has, has commemorated its relations with Native Americans. Um, but this is one, certainly one of the highest profile ones. The, the the Native American one fascinates me. Just going back, we were talking about uh, uh, the fact we both were in graduate school at Harvard. I mentioned it again. Uh, <laughs> You're shameless. And shamelessly. I, I'll just keep this up indefinitely. Uh, but at the time, living in Franklin, Massachusetts, as I did, the nearest uh, high school to me at that time was King Philip Vocational High School. <laughs> <laughs> which prompted me to learn a little bit about King Philip and King Philip's war, the, the costliest war in American history in terms of percentage of the population killed. And uh, you know, of course, that, that King Philip was, was reviled and hated by the New England settlers, and his, uh, his body was quartered and his head put on a stick for the next 80 years as a public memorial as to what would happen to those who tried to wipe out the English settlement. How did we get from putting his head on a stick to naming a high school after him? Well, uh, and, and on that, a sensationally good book for the um, for readers who haven't come across it yet, Jill Lepore's book, The Name of War. Absolutely uh, great. It yeah. talks about King Philip's War and the way King Philip's Wars um, lived on in, in memory. Um, well, that that actually is a pattern that I think is, is a good example of the way American culture is usually gone. Um, something drifts into becoming, you know, just another banal part of um, American... Um, you know, kind of commercial culture. Um, you know, it becomes the name of a street. I went to um, high school on Pickett Road for years without realizing that it was named for George Pickett. And um, it, it, the thing just loses its importance um, and, and any meaning. And you go to King Philip Vocational Technical School, that's hysterical. It, it, um, now, I don't think, though, but I have to say, I don't think Nathan Bedford Forrest is going to go that route. 
um, or at least it's not going to be for a long, long time. Well, but um, on the other hand, there are there is a forest statue in Memphis. Uh, there is, but I don't think that it is it, the, you know, the, the the level of of um, relevance of, of Nathan Bedford Forest in the sense that Nathan Bedford Forest is touching um, issues that are um, highly volatile in American culture is is a lot more developed than it is at this point for than it is for King Philip, and so I don't. That's why I don't see, you know, I, I see continued controversies over that in a way that I don't see. Uh, him easily slipping as King Philip has into the names of motels and stuff no, like that. I, I, Forrest, I, I would agree with you on that, but consider other Confederates. I, uh, uh, whenever I want to get in an argument with any of my, uh, my my Southern friends here, I'll mention, oh, we're driving back from D.C., go past uh, Fort A.P. Hill in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he fought against our flag. Why don't we have a Fort Irwin Rommel, too? <laughs> Why don't we have a Fort Osama bin Laden while we're at it? And, boy, that gets... <laughs> that gets the fur flying, um, but A.P. Hill did fight against the the American flag, and yet we honor him. So well, uh, good point. Then there there are lots of forts named after Confederates, lots of federal uh, installations Bragg, of various Fort kinds, Hood, uh, um, tons of them. Um, and so, um, yeah, uh, that's very true. I um, uh, there there have naming has been a big uh, area controversy. I, I, I'm not quite sure what I what I would predict there, but um, uh, it, it would. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, that come up as an issue. Um, I mean, the, the classic example of that is New Orleans, um, which uh, adopted a resolution that the public schools shouldn't be named after slaveholders. Which would include then Washington and Jefferson. And and George Washington High School, I forget what level school George Washington was, but George Washington School was one of the ones that was changed. And, and, that... um, and so PGT Beauregard School became the Thurgood Marshall Middle School, for example. And, and and that shows that it's, I mean, it's easy to make. Oh, there's some random theme music there. Um, I thought I'd won a prize. <laughs> if you mentioned Thurgood Marshall, yes, the music. <laughs> uh, it, it's, um, it, actually, it's telling us it's time for a second break. That's what's happening. So we're okay. going to take a short break, and we'll be right back here on Civil War Talk Radio with Thomas J. Brown to talk about this public art of Civil War commemoration. Back in just a moment. Sometimes we have monuments for those who fought against the American flag. A.P. Hill, Robert E. Lee, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Will we one day have monuments to others who fought against our flag? Will there be a Fort Ho Chi Minh in Virginia? Why not? Let's talk about the meaning of memorials with our guest Thomas J. Brown when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey Internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated 
programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. Vitality is a natural expression of health, success, and fulfillment. And yet it's rare to meet people bubbling with vitality. That's because most of us push ourselves too hard. And when we trigger the internal alarms that tell us to change our diets, attitudes, or activities, we ignore them. Allowing outside pressures to override our internal alarms undermines our health, sabotages our success, and limits our potential. If you're ready to reclaim your natural vitality, to begin living a life you love, visit thevitalyou.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Today, talking with Dr. Thomas J. Brown of the University of South Carolina on the subject of Civil War memorials. Dr. Brown's at work on a book on this topic and has written extensively in other venues about this subject, and is also an old graduate school colleague of mine from Harvard days. There, I've said it in each segment of the show. But I'm saying it this time on purpose, uh, mentioning Harvard, because, Tom, when you and I were there, there was a dispute at that time about Harvard's Memorial Hall. I don't know if you remember the particulars, mm-hmm. but there there was an effort by some students, I think probably ones from the South, to have added to the the uh, the stone markers within the hall, not just the names already there of Harvard students who had died fighting for the Union, but also those who had fought for the Confederacy, of whom there were certainly some. And there was some controversy whether the the Southern Confederate Har- Sons of Harvard should be added to Memorial Hall or not. Uh, what did you think of that? Um, I, I'm not sure where that stands today. Um, I, I I think they had reached a conclusion, but um, that that they had concluded it was inconsistent with the um, intentions of the uh, uh, people who who put up Memorial Hall. Um, in which I, I certainly agree that it, it um, probably was inconsistent with the attention of people who put up Memorial Hall, um, but only because Memorial Hall was put up um, relatively soon after the war. Um, those same people, uh, 15 years later, might well have put up the names of um, the Southern graduates of Harvard who died in the Civil War. Um, I don't think it, it has widely come up in this um, discussion that the... Um, Names of Harvard graduates who who died fighting for Germany in World War II are inscribed in um, Memorial Church, which is near Memorial Hall, and has the names of Harvard graduates who died in World War II. But it, it does have the names, or does not? Does it does? And and uh, it, it that recalls to mind the the scene in uh, was it in Goodbye Mr. Chips where the 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 uh, British. The old old school teacher is is 
reading the names of boys who who died in World War One during World War One, mm-hmm. and mentions the name of their former German master. And the students sort of all whisper, "Which side was he on?" But to Mister Chips, he was one of his boys. It didn't matter which side he was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. School loyalty trumped national loyalty. Mm-hmm. Now you say fifteen years after Memorial Hall was built, that might have been the feeling at Harvard as well. But when it was built, and when was it built? Um, well, Harvard. It, it, uh, quick uh, dip into Harvard history. Yeah. Harvard Memorial Hall was something that the, the college had been um, uh, hoping to build, and the, the war provided the convenient excuse for. The major um, event of the academic year was commencement, and from a um, alumni relations point of view, the major event of commencement was a, a meal that at which all living graduates would be invited, and the. Um, College had reached the point, which is still only the average graduating class from Harvard at this point was about 65. But they still they had enough more uh, living graduates than they could um, seat together, and this was not good for alumni donations. So they wanted they'd wanted to build a dining hall that was bigger um, and a place where they could have everybody at the big commencement meal. And um, the alumni uh, and and, and um, it was just at this time that um, Harvard completely cut loose from Massachusetts, or, or I should say Massachusetts completely cut loose from Harvard. Be more exact, more accurate. And the alumni really came to be the governing, um, the sole governing uh, body of Harvard, or the corporation and um, and the and the alumni together, I should say. Anyhow, the alumni became more important, and the state, the state became less important, and and so the alumni uh, leapt on this opportunity and uh, were planning Memorial Hall as soon as the war ended, and uh, they already had a fund on hand to uh, to build a theater, and so they attached that fund to the idea of the dining hall, and they put a memorial vestibule between the two of them. So the planning for it began um, in 1865, and it was done um, by 1878. Um, massive, I mean, an enormous building, tremendously expensive, and uh, comes up is built in the midst of a very severe national um, depression. So uh, I, I think that speaks something for the intensity of the original impulse to it. Um, th- this this work was well underway by the late 1860s, um, and at that point. Uh, Union attitudes towards former Confederates uh, tended to view them straightforward as, as traitors. Um, by um, the, the mid 1870s, even and, um, that was becoming less common. Um, it gradually becomes less and less common over time. I, I, I commonly taken as a real watershed moment in this is the dedication of the Lee Monument on Monument Avenue in Richmond. Um, even then, there are plenty of people who, who thought that. You know, the Lee Monument on Monument, and plenty of people in the North, I'm saying, who thought that Lee Monument on Monument Avenue in Richmond was a monument to a traitor. Uh, but y- it's commonly taken as a date where that is that is becoming the minority opinion. And that's the 1890s, think that's a, as I recall. Pardon me? Uh, the Lee Monument was 1890. 1890, yes, I should say, 1890. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, by by that point, I, the people who uh, people who put up Memorial Hall were, were relatively uh, conservative politically. Uh, I think they probably would have shared in that view by the late 1880s, 1890s. And, and David Blight is, is probably the leading person writing on this subject today. Absolutely. Perfect example of, of uh, David Blight's um, description of this uh, movement towards reunion um, and, uh, and, and having real implications for the commitment to um, uh, racial equality. So the, the, by the 1890s, the, the political meaning of the war is being put aside uh, by people putting up these monuments. If you're going to put up a monument to Lee, you, you can no longer view the war as, as political, uh, as less a political struggle than just sort of a, uh, 
well, hard to... But that's right. And there comes to be a considerable sentiment. I mean, here's a good example of the Memorial Hall question. There, there comes to be a considerable movement around, by, uh, by 1900 towards putting up a monument to Lee in Washington, D.C., endorsed by people like Theodore Roosevelt. That The principal spokesman for this idea is Charles Francis Adams, Jr., uh, brother of Henry Adams, a, a Union veteran. Charles Francis Adams, Jr. served throughout the war. Uh, while his father was minister to England, Charles Francis Adams Sr., and, and Charles Francis Adams Sr. was the major speaker at the dedication of Memorial Hall um, at, the, at the laying of the cornerstone in 1874. Um, so, you know, there in the, in the next generation, you know, his son is, is the major spokesman for this idea that Lee is a great American. Uh, we ought to recognize him in Washington, which comes to, it, it, instead of a, the United States putting up a statue, it comes primarily to take the form of... Um, Arlington becoming a, a you know recognized national um, landmark, federal a federal landmark. In in contrast to this, especially in terms of memorials uh, in Boston, you have the the fifty fourth Massachusetts Memorial, the St. Gaudens yes. uh, Memorial. That that has a very different meaning than many of these others, does it not? Well, um, the Shaw um, uh, Memorial uh, is a um, a great spot in America. Um, it's, it's certainly one of these, uh, and there are a few that you could say it's a great work of art. Um, and it has a lot of meanings. Um, but absolutely uh, central is um, it's about um, blacks in the um, Union Army um, and about um, military service as a form of citizenship. And um, there's, there has been debate at different times about what were St. God's intentions in, in depicting that, you know, to what extent he's sort of uh, embracing black citizenship, um, and to what extent he's trying to show an image of, you know, white leadership and, and African-Americans following. Um, and, and there have been arguments on different sides, but uh, you, you put him in the, in the um, range of what's going on elsewhere, and it's uh, tremendously progressive. Uh, Whatever St. God's own personal views were, and he was uh, no uh, racial progressive personally. Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the idea that the uh, he, he saw the, the 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 great idea here that he could he could realize in art was quite a progressive idea. So we have these memorials now all over the country that uh, mostly put up in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, and. Uh, and they remain charged with with meaning. Uh, we talked in the earlier segment about the one here in Greenville, North Carolina, that has recently uh, become the subject of some public controversy. There's been a call that it should be moved, met by a general chorus from much of the community, certainly much of the, the white majority community, that it should not be moved. Uh, you have disputes, as you mentioned, over the Confederate flag or, or the, the Northern Virginia battle flag, more accurately, being flown uh, over the South Carolina State House. So these, these things don't go away. I received an email uh, just yesterday from uh, a listener pointing out that sometimes the, the, uh, that, that the, the emotion lies on both sides. Just to quote a few lines from it, he says, I listen to your show and other shows, anything I can find about the Civil War. I'm a huge Civil War enthusiast. However, I am extremely annoyed and slightly offended by this attitude, even in 2006, that the South was honorable, they were justified, and that they bravely held out and gave the Union all they could handle, despite being vastly outnumbered in resources and manpower. 
the South has decisively won the PR battle. And this, this letter goes on. But I want to, if we're getting near the end, I want to touch on this issue. People say traditionally that the, the winners write the history, and you'll even hear that mentioned in regard to the Civil War. And yet looking at Civil War monuments and Civil War books, it seems you can make a case that uh, the Confederacy did quite well after the war in how the war is to be commemorated and remembered. I, I think that's certainly true. I, I think that's very true. Um, it, <laughs> Uh, you, you compare it to um, uh, a lot of other failed rebellions, um, and it uh, <laughs> it's been embraced uh, certainly by the the uh, uh, victorious side. Um, and and uh, I mean, David Blight's Race and Reunion is a fabulous book about that subject, and and, and that embrace was was very tied to uh, um, a shift towards um, you know less progressive racial views from the 1860s to um, the 1910s in the North. No, uh, I guess the that, big point I would take from uh, David's work is that, um, that he's very good at showing that uh, different possibilities were, have been available to American culture at all different times, and, and it's not as if um, it's over, it was over in 1865. It's not as if it's over in 1915. It's not as if it's over yet. Um, these these uh, things are still being debated. It's it's one of the mediums in which America defines itself, and and I, I think it will continue to. Now, I think the argument that the the reconciliation of the 1890s and the acceptance of Confederate symbolism does come certainly in an era when when Jim Crow is just being launched, and and there's no coincidence there that the the coarsening of racial attitudes on white America's part ties in with that. But if we talk about issues today, including the, the Greenville statute today, people will, will bristle if you say that their, their interest in the Confederacy or their desire to reenact uh, as a Confederate or to uh, have a painting of Lee in their house or, or otherwise uh, do something like this. If you say, well, this is a racial, uh, a sign of your racial insensitivity, they'll, they'll respond angrily and say it's not that at all. Uh, is there room for anything other than, than racial explanations for this? Uh, well, there are a whole bunch of different kinds of activities, and um, you know, um, being a reenactor is is different from um, you know reading books about the Confederacy is is different from the community uh, putting a monument in a public place. Um, there are different kinds of activities um, with different kinds of implications. Um, Certainly, there's room for people to have interest in the Confederacy uh, that is um, informed by something other than race. I've written on Confederate monuments myself. I, I find it very interesting. Um, I, I um, don't think that all uh, that, that that's the only thing to be said about Confederate monuments. But, uh, you, know, you mentioned, or I, I guess I mentioned reenacting, and you, you touched on it there. I, I attended a reenactment recently in Kinston, North Carolina. And when entering the tented area where the sutlers were selling their wares, one of the first tents had modern uh, neo-Confederate uh, junk, I'll call it, uh, for sale belt buckles and bumper stickers and so on, South Pole Rise Again type messages. Mm -hmm. And the next tent over, the next uh, table and tent, was one of the U.S. The 37th USCT reenactment group, uh, United States Colored Troops. And it was a black reenactment organization, and they had their promotional literature and how to join and so on. And I would have to say, if I had not seen them present, 
if the only welcoming to that reenactment had been uh, the chance to buy bumper stickers that say uh, the South will rise again, uh, I, I would have wondered what the motivation was of the people mm-hmm. organizing this. Mm-hmm. But uh, the by tempering it with certainly Union troops everywhere and black Union troops at that as well as Confederates, uh, I certainly got a sense that there there were many motivations for being there. But mm-hmm. there is a little bit uh but but it 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 does still linger the uh, uh so, some of the hostility and, and the uh, the anger you read in some of the letters to the editor when people protest moving a confederate statue uh, well very few of the statues have been moved uh it, it, to my knowledge i i don't know of any that have been moved straightforward for ideological purposes a fair number have been moved as traffic obstructions so if Greenville could arrange to get an interstate downtown, that could solve the whole problem <laughs> here in Greenville, North Carolina. Well, I do hear our theme music once again, uh, Tom, suggesting we're, we're at the end of our time here. But I want to thank you very much for being on the show. It's good talking to you again. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoy talking with you. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening today to Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm.